0: Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is just a reminder that everything on the podcast is intended to be informational, educational, and entertaining. This is no way a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic process. If you find yourself in need of more direct support, please reach out for professional help. Or if you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or call 911. 911. It's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Today, I have special guests with me. She is the executive director of Sad Girls Club, Ms. Brienne Patrice. Hi, Brienne. How are you today?
1: Hi, LaShonda. I am fine. How are you?
0: I am doing pretty good. Thank you for asking. Excited for our conversation. So I'm going to start with you like I do all my guests and ask, what is your labor of love?
1: Mm, mine is vulnerability
0: love vulnerability I'm a very (laughs) vulnerable person myself so when you say vulnerability tell us a little bit about what you mean by that
1: oh man I feel like my vulnerability also ties into like my my honesty and my authenticity and how for me in the last I don't know, five or six years, it has really allowed me to kind of hone in on the true sound of my voice and being unapologetic in my story, the telling of my story and the the various uh, paths or trials I've gotten, I've had to go through in order to get to the understanding of who I am today. So my vulnerability really transcends through uh, my writing. First and foremost, that is where I feel the most comfortable, that is where I am the most honest, um, is in my writing. And I I just feel like vulnerable spaces in specific for black women, um, we are cultivating more, but we need to continue their work in allowing us to really have a place for us to go and just be like, hey, this is what I'm feeling today. I don't know why I'm feeling this way or whatever, whatever, and just allow ourselves to kind of talk through it until we begin to make sense of it.
0: Now, I love that. And, you know, I, I can directly, uh, get behind so much of that. It, uh, aligns so much with my story. And when you use the word unapologetic, I was like, yes, <laughs> because, um, it's a, it's a word that I've heard, For a long time. Like Mm -hmm. I I, I have a good grasp of the English language. Like I know what it means. Mm -hmm. But actually uh, stepping into a space where I said I am going to be unapologetic is fairly new for me, definitely within this year, Mm -hmm. within 2020. Um, Being authentic and transparent are things that I have been for quite a while but then there would still be some times where I would be vulnerable or transparent. And then I would be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> or, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Or I wonder what people are thinking about that. And it's just been more uh, in recent times that I have stepped into a space of wanting to live my life more unapologetically. And so I can definitely appreciate that. So can you tell us a little bit about why this is important to you? Like, how did you come to name something so... <laughs> quite frankly scary (laughs) um as a labor of love for yourself
1: uh it honestly truly became a a a point of life or death for me literally i um i'm a mom i have a nine-year-old and 2013 um she was like two um she got diagnosed with a kidney disease and that can be very scary for a first time mom. That was very scary coming out of college and like finding, trying to find a job. And then all of a sudden, bam, I'm hit with now having to care for a sick child. And then even after that was like custody battle. And then I lost my job and then like homelessness, all of these things were just happening. And I was just like, what is going on? Like, what is it or whatever And I very specifically, however, remember sitting in church one Sunday and um, very loudly asking God to just break me down in, in whatever manner he felt was necessary for me to rise up into the person he wanted me to be. And that immediately after praying that all of those things like came spiraling i was like lord this is not what i was talking about but i'm gonna go not what i meant (laughs) no
0: no what i meant at all those moments before like yeah i clearly i miss you misunderstood right (laughs) i'm with you i'm with you
1: like i was like lord like i mean can you just ease me into this and he was just like no just stripping it all the way at one time and so um i've always known i wanted to write I've always I've loved writing. I published like um my first piece of poetry when I was like 14. Don't go try to find it cuz I can't even tell you where it is right now. <laughs> 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 but uh I I love journaling. My my father is a writer and my sister used to write for Essence, so it's like in my blood to cultivate words. Mm-hmm. And I um However, in writing, I always kept it for myself. I always kept it to myself. And then when all of these things started happening, I was like, I need like, I need another outlet because it's no longer working for me to just be quiet in the sense that it's like, even though I'm putting it on paper, I still feel like I'm keeping it bottled inside. Like somebody has to know what I'm dealing with, what I'm going through. And so uh, I was suicidal after going through all those things. I was suicidal. I was like, all right. <laughs> I know that this is the devil trying to take me out or whatever, trying to like tell me that this is the way that I'm supposed to go. And I know I'm not supposed to go this way. So uh, I started uh, my very first blog and my writing became a way for me to just be like, say whatever it was I needed to say. And. A lot of people, especially uh, those connected to the things that I was going through, I obviously received a lot of backlash from it. Like, oh, you're lying and you deserve this or whatever, whatever. And I had to get to a point to where I was just like, I don't, I don't care. Like, I can't, I can't sit here and allow these things to fester inside of me. I can't sit here and allow these things to eat away at me knowing that regardless of it's going to reach somebody or not like this is what i need i need to get this out i need to put this somewhere other than a notebook So i just mm-hmm. wrote the words and allowed them to to go to whoever they needed to, to find and um that has really spiraled over into where i am today and the various stories and the women that i am connected to today and my um I don't know. It's just like uh, it. It has become such a deep and intimate practice for me that it's now it's like sometimes I might share too much. <laughs> mm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but it's just uh, I really can't explain like the feeling that comes over. And I tell people all the time when when they're like, "Oh, I'm afraid of what somebody's going to say," or "I'm afraid of how this is going to be perceived." And I'm like, "But at the end of the day, it's your story." And somebody is going to have something to say about it. Somebody is not going to like what you had to say. But at the end of the day, this is your experience. And if they don't like what you have to say, they should have done, like they should have given you something better to write about.
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> no, I appreciate that. So many um, nuggets and good things in there. And as I was thinking, I was thinking, one, um, I, can tr- I can totally understand Um, The Journey of Writing, I I wrote when I was young as well, journal Mm -hmm. style, but I was always afraid that someone would find it. So I would like write in code. (laughs) Um, Sometimes I would like make up people who didn't exist, not in a fiction kind of way, but just to, or I would write a story about something a friend told me, but it was really about me. Mm -hmm. So I was always very afraid that people would find it and what they would think. And I I can appreciate, you know, you mentioning that now that I've gotten back into writing um, more formally, I'm, I'm working on the book that I just have to make more time to write. Mm. Um, and when I write, I'm like, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to write for the book. And then I don't, I, I have to write what comes up. Yeah. And, and that it gets so stuck down. So I can, I have to get it out. So I can appreciate that very much as well as um, just having this thought, you know, uh, is it too much, you know? And I appreciate what you said because at the end of the day and the beginning of the day, mm-hmm. it's my story. Yeah. It is what it is. And, you know, it's one of those things where I frequently will say, I can't tell someone else's story without their permission. And I won't, but if you interact with my story, my story is going to be told. Right. So if that's where you are in my story, unfortunately, I'm telling mine and this is the role that, you know, you had in it. And I appreciate that. Um, yeah, that that's awesome. And then also, you know, I want to acknowledge. You know, I still have moments where it's kind of like, not as much. What are people going to think? It is, but it's, but it's, ah, you know, should I say this? And and who would be impacted? And what are the impact of my words? But I found that what makes that go away is just being authentic. Right? Absolutely. This is what it is. And that's exactly what you're talking about. So I can so, so, so appreciate that. Um, I would love to hear more about, you said, it, this has brought you to where you are today. Mm-hmm. So tell us about where you are today. How does this work and um, this dedication and commitment to vulnerability show up in your life today?
1: Oh, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I I literally was just having a conversation with one of my homegirls because I, I like, I mean, we 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 know it's 2020 and this has been like, oh, this has been oh, a year yeah. full of books, like literally. But um I myself uh, personally, and I'm sure everybody probably feels the same, feel like I have gone through so many transformations this year. And I'm currently going through one right now to where I like took myself off of Instagram because I'm just like over it and I just turned 33 and um I'm like figuring out what what it really means to cultivate joy on the the other side of trauma Mm -hmm. and I had never really taken the time to really ask myself well what does my my you know, my post-traumatic self-need. I never took, look, I had never thought to ask myself that question until Mother's Day, actually. Mother's Day, I was sit here and I was like, mind-blown by the emotions that were coming up I was like I was dating somebody and he was out uh paying tribute to the mother of his child and um at least she was hanging out with her family for her mother's day and I'm sitting here because I couldn't um get to my baby at the time and so I'm sitting here and I'm just like oh my god this day has been like a terrible day because in the past Mother's Day has never been like a, a a memorable moment for me it's never been something that I have been um, I guess honored in a, in a way that you feel like mothers should be and I know mm-hmm. it's just a day or whatever but still the, 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 the sentiment that comes behind honoring the women honoring motherhood and the passage the rite mm-hmm. of passage that some women want to go through but don't even have the privilege or the option to always go through and here i am blessed enough to have given birth to a child and then feel some people look at me as like not being a mother just because i don't feel the role in the way that they feel like i should be feeling it
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so um i'm like crying and i'm, I'm i text so i'm like girl like all of these things are coming up for me and i don't know why and so she very loudly says to me well what would you have this day symbolize for you? And I, and just having her ask me that one question, kind of spiral over into a whole bunch of other questions. Well, now that I am here in this space, like I'm, I, I'm living in Brooklyn. I have not had a space to my own in five years. I have been like couch couch surfing and living with family. And now I'm at a place to where I can afford a roof over my head. And so I'm sitting here, and I'm really thinking like. Oh, you—you you really still like you're leading. You're still leading with your trauma lens. Like you're still attached to your trauma identity. Mm-hmm. And now, now you need to let this go. Now you need to figure out what does joy look like. What does pleasure look like? What what do you need? What like what is your body asking for? What is your spirit asking for? What what is your soul, all your mind, all of these things asking for? Now that you are through all of the murky water, and so I'm sitting here and i'm i'm just like oh you know i i very much am a sensual person my healing has come a lot through my sensuality and my sexuality and i always go there first and and sitting here and asking these questions, I was like, oh, well, I know I need this. And then um, in dating the, the the guy I was talking to, I was able to figure out what kind of co-parent I wanted to be, what kind of co-parent I needed, like what kind of energy I wanted to usher into um, my, my body, my situation with my daughter and her father who is now married. Like all of these questions that I didn't necessarily think of because I was still leading with my trauma lens. And when we really detach ourselves, or begin to see ourselves outside of that trauma identity, then we are able to ask ourselves the necessary questions of saying, "Um, this is what pleasure looks like for me right now. This is what joy looks like for me right now. It might look like running, I don't know, naked in the the woods or whatever, like just whatever it is that you feel (laughs) like you need. You now have, you have the authority to give it to you, to give it to yourself. When we are going through trauma, we don't necessarily feel like we have the authority to give ourselves, or we feel like we have access to joy, to pleasure, whatever, whatever. And so we get so stuck in feeling like that that's no longer accessible to us. That when we get to a place to where it is accessible to us, we still find ourselves grappling with the understanding of I no longer have to live like this anymore. I'm in, I'm in a new space right now, and for me, my space right now is really learning more about my ancestral roots, and and, um, understanding that my family comes from the Gullah Geechee, and so I'm, like, diving deep into into all of the witchy things, and um, creating with my hands, and um, cultivating the community I'm cultivating with 2930, and I'm allowing myself to explore uh, non-traditional relationships like non-monogamy and polyamory, and I'm very, not very recently, but for, like, the last three years so I guess you could say recent I've stepped away from the church and fully embraced my full spiritual self and just allow myself to, to, to say like you know the programming that my mother gave me she's a southern woman through and through <laughs> the programming that she gave me like I'm keeping the parts that I feel like I need and letting the rest of it go because I don't want to be married I don't want to subscribe to all the little things that They say that we have to, as black women, have to subscribe to in order to survive. Like we are all, especially in 2020, although 2020 sound like feels like a whole, you know, whirlwind of emotion and and trauma and just things, we are still in a very beautiful time to where we have the space, we have the framework within our bodies, within our cellular, you know, DNA to to really recreate, to really redefine and create a new world order that says. I don't have to do this anymore. I'm choosing to do this. And so this is what, this is a new precedent and I'm, I'm going to be setting right now.
0: Woo-wee. Okay. <laughs> you gave, you, you, you didn't even say a word. You said woo when you started. And I was like, okay, I get it now. No, there was so much richness there and I appreciate all of it. So I a couple of things that stood out. Mm-hmm. So one, who is the least?
1: Oh, the founder of Sad Girls Club. Sorry. There you go. <laughs> okay. Because people kept saying Sad
0: Girls Club, you know, or yes. you kept saying Elise. I was like, let, let's let give the listeners. So who yes. is Elise.
1: She is the founder of Sad Girls Club. I be throwing her out there and I be like, everybody probably don't know who she is. But no, she is the founder of Sad Girls Club. A dear friend of mine. Love her. But yes.
0: Okay, so thank you. <laughs> and it also sounds like, you know, she was, um she was kind of a voice of reason and a grounding person for you in some of your experiences. And what I appreciate the most about what you described about Elise is she asked you questions. Yes. And sometimes we think when we want to help someone or come alongside them, we need to tell them what to do. And it's actually the opposite. You know, I'm going to also throw out there and say, if you're going to a therapist and all they're doing is giving you answers, girl, find another therapist. Okay, <laughs> that That's it. And that's coming from a therapist. Right. I think part of one of the most um, significant and healing things that we can do in relationship with other people is come into close proximity and connection with them ask questions that can help them expand and sit with them as they grapple with the answers. There is so much power in that. And so that's what I really heard when you talked about Elise. So thank you for that. Um, You also hit on something that I talk about all the time, but it's so accurate. And it's when we are in the midst of trauma, we are being guided by the parts of our brain and body that are specifically geared towards survival. Yes. And when we are in survival, there are things that are not taking place. You're not uh, keeping good track of time because that's a different part of the brain. You are not, um, (laughs) you're not accessing, like you said, joy and pleasure and all of these other things that are not compatible with those survival mechanisms. And so when we find ourselves on the other side of trauma sometimes we don't know we're on the other side because we our body is still our brain and body are collaborating and still like in that high sympathetic yeah, survival mode we, we and so being breathing. yeah and so we sometimes have to take a deep breath and settle long enough to literally look around and be like oh wait I am where I was hoping praying seeking to be. Mm -hmm. And then one of the most significant things um, that you said is then asking ourselves, what does this post-traumatic self need? That was huge, Brianne, because what happens is we oftentimes still consume the same things. And I mean that literally and figuratively, Mm We consume the same things that we did when we were in trauma. Mm -hmm. Once we've moved through the trauma and when we look around, it still feels like we're in the same space, but we do need to sometimes consume different things um, from our, the diet that comes through our eyes, our ears, our mouth, what we absorb though, as those things begin to shift to where we actually are, we can find ourselves being able to have that post-traumatic growth. That is so possible and so um, just so magnificent. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for sharing that part. Um, Can you, what is Sad Girls? oh
1: <laughs> so sad girls we are a nonprofit. um we gear towards uh gen z and millennials and we are serving the um, women of color community and we are just out here having conversations about mental health the conversations that we might not necessarily been able to have at home especially within the black and brown community and allowing others to come and just say like you know i don't have to be quiet about this this is what i'm going through and then allowing everybody to find community within that right now we are um gearing up for a very huge uh campaign that i can't go too much into detail about but it's amazing that i'm really excited about and then we are um we have soul sessions going on right now which is uh free group counseling to our community via one of our partners, ARFA. And um, honestly, it's just a, a space of, um, of mental health. Elise started it, uh, in 2018. She, it was the response to a video that she had go viral in 2017 called Conversations with Friends, where she basically documented her own, um, uh sent with mental health and depression anxiety all of the things coupled under there and under after the the video went viral everybody was just like oh you know thank you and we need more of this or whatever whatever so sad girls was born and here we are me me and elise literally like <laughs> building this uh beautiful platform so that we can continue to serve black and brown people
0: Yeah, that is so fantastic because as black and brown bodied women um, talking explicitly about mental health doesn't Mm -hmm. happen, but we talk about it under other um, umbrellas. Like I saw this meme um, and it rang so true for me and so many people that I know. And it said something to the impact of um, like black women don't think that they have anxiety and depression. They just think they're failing. Mm. right? And I was like, oh, mm. oh, that's, oh, okay. That's a word, right? Yeah. Because we we have these things where it's, yeah, it, it either directly impacts the way we esteem ourselves and how we see ourselves or we think we're struggling. Um, our value or our self-value begins to de- decrease when we have never been oftentimes given even the the idea that there are things like anxiety or depression or PTSD or any of these things that impact so much of the population where I didn't know anything about these things. till so I was well older. I didn't know what a therapist was growing up. No one ever talked about that. Girl. No one talked about that. And if you were sad, then you need to just go to church. think about the happy yeah. things, right? <laughs> you just need Jesus. It'll Girl. be okay. You know, smile, you know, get over it. Um, All of these different things. And so I can truly appreciate uh, Sad Girls Club for just creating a narrative and providing um, access to young women who otherwise might not have had it. And to be fair, our parents didn't have it and their parents didn't have it. So in some ways, it's not, it's never about blame and shame, but it is, you know, it's a thing. (laughs) <laughs> right. Rooted in our existence here in this country, in the systemic oppressions that have been created. But again, that's a beat. That's a drum that I beat almost every uh, podcast. So I appreciate that. And then I would love to hear more about 2930.
1: Oh, girl. Uh, uh, you know, it really came from the understanding of survival mode. Because when I moved into Brooklyn last year, I, uh, was like, you know, when you, when you move to like a bigger city or whatever, you just imagine yourself out here doing all of the things, like you going to be like, you know, black sex in the city or something and just living <laughs> live your best life. <laughs> that was not my experience. Uh, when I moved into Brooklyn, I was very much, um, I thought I was depressed because I was tired. I didn't want to leave the house. I was, like, in the bed, just want to watch TV, didn't want to talk to nobody. And I was sitting here, like, what is wrong with me? Like, why am I feeling like this? I really have no reason to feel like this right now. And so I'm, like, meditating. I'm consulting with my guys. And then they let me know, like, survival mode your body is decompressing right now like so just chill and allow yourself to go through the ebbs and flows of what it means to come out of this and so um for me uh in 2930 it's really about allowing women to center pleasure in their everyday lives and it can be sexual pleasure platonic pleasure like whatever it doesn't have to you know, automatically go to you being attached to a partner or not. I think when we talk about pleasure in specific to black women, we always, there's always a conversation of it being attached to another body and and more so attached to a man. Mm -hmm. And for me, I think, women having the space to really have control of her pleasure in whatever manner that is opens up a whole new world of healing. And coming coming from a Christian home, Christian background, things like, you know, sex wasn't really talked about in my house. It was just don't do it before her marriage, otherwise you you gonna go to hell and masturbation was not talked about in my house it was just the understanding that you weren't supposed to do it and if we really give women the 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 framework the understanding of what it means to have sexual desires what it means to have you know just um all of these emotions riding through riding through their body if we give them the full understanding of it and then allowing them to make the decision and whatever decision is that they You know decide for themselves then we also we have the understanding that like pleasure doesn't have to be attached to this patriarchal understanding that in order for me to feel good I have to wait for a man to do it for me or even black women in specific we are highly sexualized but it's not okay for us to be sexual Mm -hmm. or or um, there is this understanding that Black women, we are to, you know, serve, but we are not expected to be of, like, we're not expected to, to, to receive in return. We have this understanding that Black women are to be of service and not necessarily to be serviced. And so it's just like, no, I want to experience pleasure. I want to have that playful exploration and saying that, you know, Wearing silk makes me feel good. Rubbing certain oils or whatever on my body makes me feel good. Smelling vanilla or lavender or whatever heightens my senses. And then understanding that sensuality turns over into our heightened sexuality and allows us to explore the way that our body responds to itself through masturbation through sensual self-portraiture through just all of the things that they say we don't we shouldn't be allowing ourselves to explore or all of the things that they say that are not of quote unquote respectable women or whatever is is bull like what?
0: No, I just imagine so many women,
1: <laughs> so many
0: people clutching their pearls right now like oh my god what you know before we continue down this mm-hmm. same path mm-hmm. something that excuse me, came to mind, Um, it just really popped in my mind. I remember being a teenager and uh, someone close to me was uh, preparing to get a breast reduction Mm -hmm. or they weren't prepared. They were talking about it. They had very large breasts and is a black woman and was just like um, expressing her like discomfort and and all of that. And another woman, an older black woman, I remember uh, she asked her, Uh, does your husband have a problem with them? And she's like, you know, whatever her response is, like, then why do you have a problem with it? And I, what I realized is I've been just exploring so much of my template, right? My Mm -hmm. beliefs, my worldviews, my behaviors, and where they come from is I was very, very, very much taught, um, directly and indirectly that my body is for men's pleasure. Yes. That's what it's for. And not, you know, and and that's it. And and so decisions that I make, you know, and and made growing up, whether that's what I wear, what any of that had this back of mind understanding of like, the purpose of this, the purpose of what I look like, the purpose of this, the purpose of that is for men's pleasure, whether it's to be Easy on the eyes to them or that and and things like that. D- does your husband have a problem with it? And this woman was talking about discomfort. She was she was talking about her own body. And the response is, "Well, does the man girl, like it?" And, girl, and I girl. didn't have I didn't then look at it and go like, "Oh my god, that's wrong." No, I just went like, "Oh, well, does he?" And I can recall just throughout life having, or sometimes I would hear things like. Let's say a woman, someone said something negative about her appearance, right? Mm-hmm. And I, how many times I've heard the response, but my man like it. But <laughs> it's the same thing. It's yes. like, wow, we are really taught conditioned. and conditioned yeah. to believe that is the purpose of our body. Now, it that makes nice. sense when you look at the role we played yeah. when our ancestors were stolen and brought to this country, yeah. right? We We were highly sexualized constantly raped our bodies used Mm -hmm. um and 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 the thought of our own desires or our even our capacity to experience pleasure just was never thought of so those things you're talking about they're so on point when we think about when we think about how we have come to believe the things that we believe the worldviews that we have specific specifically around sensuality sexuality um and you know black and brown body women
1: yes like to hear that makes me cringe and i I think about it because my stepfather um i cut my hair and so i i have a brush cut and he every time i call him he'll be like did you grow your hair back and i'm like no, and his his response is, "You ain't never gonna find no man, cause ain't no man gonna want you with your bald headed." Meanwhile, I am happily partnered and like in, in a very loving and freeing relationship. He is amazing, and I'm just like, why, why would you tell somebody that? Like, why would you tell your daughter that? First off and foremost, that yeah. that a, a woman, a man's love for me is attached to how long my hair is. And honestly, truly, I get more play now that my hair is cut than I did when I had <laughs> hair on my head. Let's, I'm just being honest, but but it's just that. And when you when you bring up how you know in the back of our minds, all the decisions that we often make as women is because we are thinking about you know being acceptable to being pleasing to some man. Makes me think about my mother and her just her uh, her understanding of relationships with men and how that in turn influenced my relationships with men and how I was just in this very like toxic cycle of bad relationships because in the back of my mind I hear my mom being like you need to be married like you need to find a husband you need to whatever whatever so I'm just like on the prowl in relationships with men I knew I had no business being in relationships with or being a I've been engaged twice knowing good and well I didn't want to be married but I'm just like okay my mama said I had to do this so I'm like I need to do it but then finally getting to the point the point to where I'm like No, I'm grown. (laughs) And if I don't want to be married, if I don't want to do whatever it is that like um, childhood conditioning, Christianity and all of the things that my mom and them subscribe to feel like I'm supposed to be doing as a woman, as a black woman, I'm not going to do it. I, and now she's hit to the point to where like you know no nothing none of my decisions ever surprise her anymore. She's just like, as long as you're not in jail, go do it but <laughs> but it's just like... If we really give women the understanding, like, our wounds are, are a place of healing, a place of creation, a place of manifestation. Like, sex magic is very real, and I am even at a point where now I'm, like, very responsible about their energies I even allow into my body, and... Uh, although I'm in a, a a polyamorous relationship I only allow him into my body because being uh, intuitive being a healer having all of that sexual exchange with multiple people for me to sound feels irresponsible knowing the way that I uh I feel about my body and the way that I feel about my sensual my sensualism and the way that I feel about my sexuality if we allow women to really understand sex magic and that sex is is a form of communication and that having a healthy sex life means having a healthy sex life with ourselves first. Before I having a healthy sex life with somebody else, but there's so many things that go into the understanding of our bodies and the way that we respond to ourselves, but we don't have those conversations when we are still you know being taught that in order to have pleasure or whatever means that we need to go out and and lay down with a man who really who really is only truly out to get his. he's not thinking about whether or not like I'm being pleased or not, he just like here for it and then. and and gone and meanwhile I'm still trying to figure out how you know I'm still trying to get mine because he didn't do his job correctly
0: (laughs) so talk a little bit about sex magic so for those (laughs) who are listening and are like okay I know what those two words mean independent of each other but Mm -hmm. when you put those two words together tell the listeners a little bit about what you're specifically speaking about
1: so, so sex magic, it can be, it. so when you're by yourself, uh, for me, my practice it requires, I sit in front of a mirror, and um, I, you know, might masturbate or whatever, and right at that orgasmic energy, right when you feel yourself, you know, getting ready to climax. You begin to visualize all of the things that you want for yourself. You re- You begin to speak affirmation. You begin to manifest through your words. And I, I sit here and I'm like, in the moment, I'm calling in, you know, my dream Brooklyn apartment. I'm calling in the success of 2930. I'm calling in financial freedom. I'm calling in just, you know thrive in friendships and continue uh continuing this partnership with, with my partner like just whatever it is that's coming up for you using that orgasmic energy as a tool of manifestation is really powerful when you really begin to sit and understand and um sitting in the mirror and not taking your eyes off of you and watching how you respond and You know, affirming yourself that you are beautiful and that you are powerful and that you are magic and just all of these things really begin to to ignite something in you. And then like immediately after you are, you know, maybe you are cuddling with yourself, maybe you're taking a bath or whatever. And then with a partner, sex magic can be you, you, both of you speaking affirmation to each other, deadlocked into your eyes. Um, My birthday was October 1st. I had a full, we had a full moon on my birthday. And me and my partner engaged in sex magic. And like the whole time, eyes locked and just speaking affirmation, manifestation to each other. Amazing, amazing experience when it's geared with somebody that you are truly and divinely connected to. So if you have not
0: tried it, I suggest you try it. So for the people who are like, okay, what? This is hot. Okay. No. And, and right. And so just noticing, like, um, even for listeners and I, I gotta be real, even for myself, mm-hmm. like you say something, I look over at my producer, who is my husband and be like, okay. So I just give him the side. i like, okay, we going, oh, we going there. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> You know, you know all of my littles grew up in the Christian church are like, whoa, earmuffs, like, so what are we talking about? So I you know, I wanna be real that like these kinds of conversations can really cause discomfort for people who have been so, uh, who have been raised very differently, culturalized and socialized differently. And so with that understanding, what resources might you have for people who even want to say like, all right, I don't know if I buy it, but let me look more into it. (laughs) Or, you know, let, I I'm curious now, are there resources you would suggest for people? Absolutely. Um, I totally understand the discomfort because I'm a preacher's kid.
1: Believe it or not. So like
0: oh, I believe in. it. As soon as she started talking, I, I literally thought to myself, I bet you somebody's one of her I parents am. is I a am. I know it.
1: I am. I am. My stepfather is a minister.
0: Yep. My, my mama is a first lady. I am. Not surprising. Yeah. Not, I, yeah, not at all. I will I, say that. But go ahead.
1: I, I guess some stereotypes, not really stereotypes. I guess they fit. But <laughs> um, um, so, I, like, uh, I do understand the discomfort, because it really took me a while to, like, get, and I'm still getting used to, you know, not feeling like I'm gonna go to hell for engaging in such of a thing. Like, there's still a lot of deprogramming and deconditioning on my end. But, um, one of my favorite resources that I often refer to is Queen of Fools' book, Sacred Women. Sacred Woman. Um, If you have not read that book, please do it. Like, it is a journey she uh just takes you through the full understanding of womb affirmations how to you know release any um any unwanted memory like you know you know how our body traps sexual mm-hmm. energy from other relationships or whatever and sometimes we're not fully aware of it so affirmations and things of that or another to help you release that and really reclaim your body and womb as yours. That's one of my favorite books to, to start with. And then um, people out here like Evian Whitney, Shan Boodrum, Evian Whitney is my favorite person first and foremost. She is a sensuality, a sexuality doula and a lot of her work um, is in getting women to understand sensualism and sexuality and a lot of her work also is attached to uh sexual assault survivors and and allowing them to reclaim their body as theirs and wow. then um there are books like uh Pussy Prayers uh Sex for One um Pussy the Reclamation I think it's called it's not in front of me right now so but I would send you a, like a complete list of the books that I've read and I'm still reading
0: yeah, and, then, and we'll make sure we include those in the show notes.
1: Yes. I, and also um, Dion Ivory's non uh, um, nonprofit The Body of Home for Love, is an amazing organization that is also attached to uh, allowing women to reclaim their bodies post-sexual uh, assault.
0: Wonderful resources. Thank you. We'll make sure that we get that list that you get us inside of the show notes so that people can, you know, uh, begin to look into some of these things. I... I would imagine that for most of my listeners, you know, <laughs> this might be the first time some of them are hearing mm-hmm. like some of the terminology and some of these things. And, and, and so I do, you know, want to tell my listeners to just kind of I'm constantly saying, notice your body, notice where you tense up when you hear that, notice Mm -hmm. where the discomfort is. Um, And no matter where on this spectrum you fall, I think it's super important for women, particularly black and brown bodied women to truly understand um, that um, we have existed under systems that continuously benefit from our lack of, um, being our full selves in any way in capacity. And so this has been talked about numerous times in my mini episodes, but being able to just get to a space where we are willing to be our full selves can be so healing. Mm-hmm. And like we're saying, you know, once I began to understand that literally my body was, was mine, it was not someone else's, you know, for you, you said you were engaged a couple of times with people you knew darn what you knew, you didn't even <laughs> want to be married. Right. No, right. You know, for me, I realized that when I was in high school in my senior year and um, I was dating someone mm-hmm. I truly believed with all of my heart that no one would love me. So I had to, this was the only opportunity I got. And it led to a 12 year, very horrible relationship, 12 whole years of of that because of the conditioning that this is what, this is what it had to be, right? This mm-hmm. is where I, where I had to be. And, 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 and so I just, as we talk about, as I talk about templates all the time, what are these beliefs? What are these worldviews? And it's not, Dump it all, get rid of it all, but mm-hmm. it is time to explore. Absolutely. Who told me that? Is it true? It who's benefiting for my belief in this, those are three questions that I truly encourage people to ask. Who told me this? Is it Absolutely. true? Who's benefiting from me believing this? and so notice the tension, the tightness, and the discomfort in your body <laughs> as you hear us talking on this episode um that we will mark explicit just so people will know <laughs> um but just notice that and 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 get curious about that first, yes. Yeah. What is the discomfort? Why I heard her say the word pussy and I almost died. I, think, <laughs> I want you to feel that in your body. Like where, where do you feel that? And, and what is that connected to? She said it in regards to the title of a book, but people miss that. Like we, people are just not coming back. I know they dissociated. I know how the brain works and they like, oh my God. So now that you're coming back, what, where is that connected to? I, I think that's very helpful.
1: Absolutely. I, I feel that is a a beautiful practice just in anything. And I myself have gotten in the habit of doing that and noticing when something makes me feel uncomfortable I'm like am I uncomfortable because I don't have a full understanding of it and somebody told me this was wrong or does this make me uncomfortable because I just really don't like it like there's a difference there and um really like you said really allowing ourselves to explore that to figure out what parts of it we like or if we just don't like it at all we won't know if we just continue to kind of shy away from the discomfort of it all but you brought up an amazing point. I just wanted to say real quick, you brought up an amazing point about relationships and, and how you were in the relationship with, uh, you know, your high school lover uh, for 12 years. And I'm thinking about my partnership right now and how after I ended the relationship with my daughter's father, I went through a lot of the relationships that spiraled after that were because I was, he like ingrained in me that nobody was going to love me like he, like he did. And when I met my partner last year, we've been off and on for almost two years now. Um, when I met him last year, I was still leading with my daughter's father in my head. I was still, I was still responding with to, to him with my daughter's father in my head, like, oh, like mm, you're not doing this, so that must mean you don't love me, blah blah, so on and so forth. And then this year, going through all of the transformations, we've been able to come back, and he's still the same. I'm the one that had to change, and now it's just mm. like an amazing thing, and I feel like if a lot of us really sat with ourselves sometimes and realized that the person who, we we know when somebody is genuinely trying to love us, and when somebody is trying to harm us, and he was, and is genuinely trying, and, and is doing a good job at loving me, but because I was still leading with my trauma lens. I didn't necessarily give him the space to do that. And now I'm giving him the space to do it. Sometimes, you know, my triggers still arise sometimes, but he still, he does a very good job and being like, your love, babe. Like you, I love you. You're loved. So mm-hmm. I think if we just really, you know, sit and be and, and identify the things that we are going through and have the conversations back to the vulnerability, have the conversations with, you know, our partners, our friends or whatever, then we can, you know, really begin to allow ourselves to experience just all of the things in very new and in transformative ways.
0: That is so on point. Thank you so much for saying that. And I think it comes down to a couple of things. It comes down to one, we don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes uh, we get into experiences and what happens when we have not experienced something, it is it's almost an automatic red flag for the brain. Yeah, because it doesn't have a previous experience to go back to and guarantee our safety and survival. And so that's why trying new things are hard. And when we try a new thing that is akin or adjacent to something else, we'll go back to that experience and say, well, oh, well, that didn't go well. So I don't want to try this thing because that is how the brain works. It's using historical experiences to gather data about whether or not we will be safe and whether we'll survive or whether we'll be comfortable or whatever that is. So new things are uncomfortable because they are new and we mm-hmm. don't have that neuronal network built yet. And it also means that sometimes when those of us who have been in toxic and or abusive relationships go into other relationships, it can be sometimes very um, challenging to receive love in ways that we have not before, even if the ways that we have before have been harmful. And so it's how we can find ourselves in these patterned processes of relationships and cycles. And so I think that's important for us to think about. And the other thing, like you said, is I think just educating ourselves about things is very helpful. And so it doesn't mean that everybody else needs to go buy, you know, a floor size mirror for mm-hmm. their bedroom at mm-hmm. this point. That That's not even it. I, I do think, though, when we uh, find ourselves making snap judgments, ooh that's good or ooh that's bad. It's based on a historical experience. Yeah. And so that needs to let us know, what do I actually know about what is being said? <laughs> and like you said, am I being, am I uncomfortable because I don't have enough information about it? Once we gather more information, we may say, mm, nope, I'm good. right? But we also may realize that there are things that, um, that we might want for our lives in whatever capacity that we haven't gotten exposure to. And so I think that's super key and one of the big takeaways for me for this this uh episode so i appreciate that so much brianne mm-hmm. so is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners um before we wrap up for this episode
1: uh no i feel like i feel like i i probably dropped some bombs <laughs> that everybody wasn't expecting so no i will say um that uh uh, the conversation uh obviously will like you say bring up discomfort and it's it's um not even about like like you say going out and buying a floor mirror it's about you just really giving your space to to enjoy play for exploration in whatever manner that means to you it might Transpire into sexual sexuality, and might transpire into sensualism, or it might not. You might decide that you don't like any of those things, and you might decide that, like, you find healing and becoming a plant mother. This. For me, my, that's how my healing manifested. It was through my sensualism and through my sexuality. And that, became, that came because I allowed myself to playfully explore. So I really want to express that the point of the conversation is for you to just, just allow yourself to explore whatever mechanisms are coming up for you so that you can figure out what exactly works and doesn't work for you at this point in time. Because we're constantly changing. So what you need today, you might not need tomorrow and vice versa
0: absolutely and i and just to expand it i have a really good friend and what i love about her is one ways is she she is um a darker skinned african american woman and she loves wearing bright lipstick mm. because at some point somebody told her that her complexion couldn't wear red really? or bright lipsticks and she's like no that right me- it could be the person who is like I like that outfit and I'm going to wear it. And yep. it doesn't matter what other people have said about my body type. I'm too small to wear this or I'm too big to wear it. I, I just want to expand the playful exploration could be art. It yes. could be movement. It could be using your voice. It could be writing. Um, it, it can encapsulate itself in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And like you said, Brian, that's where I want to drive the listeners. Can you get creative? Can you allow your healing to manifest in ways you don't even know is possible because we have this very narrow lens of what that looks like. Mm. And, and that's what we're trying to encourage people to do is be playful that is part of healing, explore, be curious. Yes, Those are the things that can lead to possibilities that we don't know exist because so many of us are still stuck in our trauma cycles. And so beautifully said. Thank you so much. So Brian, if people were listening today and they like, I, right, I'll bite. I want to know. I want to meet her. I want, I want to tell me more. How can people find you or reach you?
1: Uh, I am no longer on Instagram, but you can. My website is com. 2930 is on Instagram at 2930. All of the numbers spelled out. And then Sad Girls Club is Sad Girls Club on Instagram. Our website is sadgirlsclub.org. And on Twitter, Sad
0: Girls Club IRL. Awesome. And we will definitely have those things in the show notes. Um, And finally, Breanne, I always like to ask my guests for a fun little known or interesting fact about themselves. Mm -hmm. So uh, what you got? Fun little fact about me is that
1: uh, I learned to play the snare drum (laughs) when I was in grade school and was actually in the band.
0: A lot of I want to play the drums. <laughs> you know, That's awesome. I yeah. love
1: I love music. That's probably like music and writing are both love for me. So like singing, voice lessons, I did all of the, the musical things, like all of them. Don't ask me though. Them. I can't. Okay. Don't ask me. It.
0: <laughs> I will ask you. <laughs> uh, Brianne, it has been such a pleasure to have you as our guest. I thank you so much for your time and for being with us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. So I want to give a special shout out to Trey Angel, who provides the music for the Labors of Love podcast, to my producer, Jay Sugg from Instant Classic Media, and as always to you, my listeners, I don't take it for granted. Thank you for spending time with me today. If you'd like to reach me, you have suggestions for content or guests, you can reach me at www.thelaborsoflove.com. We're on all the major social media outlets. Don't forget our YouTube channel, go over and subscribe where every week we have our therapy Thursday videos and we are now bringing our therapy Thursdays to our podcast platform. Don't forget to like, give us that five-star rating and write us a review for the podcast. Until we meet again, you all be well.